0: We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 because we're in week two of a series called Last Days with a question mark. And it's really a series that came out of your questions uh, back at Easter. We, we did the survey and some, many of y'all remember that. We had the, you know, it's Easter in the South, full house, everybody's here. Uh, Easter and Christmas, people think that's when you get religious. Uh, and we asked some questions and one of those questions was, uh, what would you like to learn more about? What would you like me to teach on? And honestly, as a pastor, I can predict that. I mean, I know exactly what's going to be written on there. I may get surprised every once in a while, but usually it goes like this. Please teach us about Revelation. And I'm like, not on Sunday morning because that's a class that needs a lot of time because there's a lot of speculation, but the Bible says you need to read it. But what it says to me is that you wanna, people want to learn more about what time it is. Are we living in the last days? I thought it's interesting because the second question kind of follows right in there, and that is, I am stressed, help me. And I think those two kind of go hand in hand. We're living in days that are highly stressful, and many people speculate, well, what time is it? Is Christ's return soon? Is it imminent? And last week, we shared about that, and we really took time to, to walk through some teaching in Scripture, and I'd encourage you to listen to that on podcasts, because here's the reality, and that is, are we living in the last days? Could be. Could very well be. The prophecies in the Bible concerning the return of Christ have all been fulfilled except for the fact He hasn't returned yet. There's, there's nothing standing in the way that has to be done until we see Him come in the, in the sky. We, we recognize there were things that maybe in your generation, most older folks, when we were raised up, there were some things that were prophesied that couldn't take place because of technology. But now with technologies like like this. The Bible says until the, until the Word of God has been taught to every people group in the, in the world, that, that's a limitation. Christ won't return until it's been taught. Well, now with satellite technology, we, are, we, we can get the Bible into anywhere. I love, I don't know if you saw this this week. It was kind of cool, but in, the, uh, in, in really tragic area of our world right now in Syria and the conflicts with the, uh, with the ISIL or ISIS, whatever you call that, that a, a church in the Netherlands decided that, you know what? they're going to use technology for something pretty cool, and that is they flooded the place with drones, dropping digital Bibles all into that area. Now, now that's, that's using your head a little bit right there. You may not be able to get that Bible in across the border, but unless they're going to shoot the drone down, at least the Bible's going to drop. Guys, it may sound crazy, but can I tell you, one glimpse into God's Word can change your life forever, and we believe in using technology to reach people for Christ. So we look at these things and we say, well, the Bible says a lot about the last days. It says, in fact, one out of every 30 verses in the Bible talks about the return of Christ or the end times. 23 out of the 27 books in the, in the New Testament speak about this topic, but yet people will still say, well, Pastor, that's not practical. That, that doesn't really help me in my day-to-day, so why do we need to learn about that on, on a Sunday? If, if Jesus is coming back, he's coming back. You know, why do we need to take time with this? I believe after today's teaching, I, I hope that you might change your mind or change your thought on that because I can tell you guys, we are living in the days that very clearly point to the return of Christ. The Bible says people will be distracted with this life. Hello? <laughs> you know, you, this, this is a statistic y'all might cringe at, okay? Uh, church attendance in the U.S., okay? Just, just coming together, like the Bible says, encouraging one another, worshiping together, letting God speak to us through his word and all of that. Used to be that if somebody was, you know, there three three Sundays out of the month, man, that was awesome, you know, praise God, they're really committed and, and, you know, that was kind of what we do. Now, in America, if someone attends church one Sunday a month, they consider that that's their home church and that's their pastor because after all, they're committed to that place. Why is that? Because life has distracted us. We are full of so much activity that it's hard to make time for God to be given his day and to take that rest and to come and serve him together. It says people will forget God because the love of many will grow cold. And I'm convinced more and more that is something we're seeing because of all the random and, and not-so-random acts around the world today of violence and things that are happening that are separating us by, by, by culture and by race and all these things, what's happening is we're losing trust in people to where now we don't really want to meet people that we don't know. We're, we're, we're getting more, we're more scared of somebody than we are to go up and talk to them about Jesus Christ. And so we're not witnessing to the goodness of our Father. It also says in the last days, people will not be ready. And I think that's true. So the conclusion was, are we living in the last days? Yes, we could be. But here's the fact. It definitely is the last days for you and I. Because we have one life to live. I, I don't know about you. I've not seen anything invented yet that's going to extend this life or give me another life. This is my one life. This is my one shot. And for me, I need to make the most of it. So we talked about thinking clearly praying, letting God's word guide us. We talked about focusing on relationships because the only thing eternal on this earth is people. It's not buildings, it's not your job, it's not your career, it's, it's not that boat, it's not anything else, it is people. And so we need to invest in people if we're gonna make a difference for eternity. And then finally, we said we need to receive God's grace. Because how many know we need God's grace, amen? We are saved only by his grace. We don't do anything to merit it. It is his gift to us. So this morning, I just want to take another step forward into that, and I really want to look at the, the thought of what's next. What, what's next? In, in, the, in the biblical calendar, so to speak, if, if God laid out a timeline, we like timelines, and we, we say, well, what's really next in God's plan, then, then the, he has given us a clear answer to that, and that is what is next is what we would call the rapture. What is next is what we'd call the the gathering of the saints, that God is going to send his son Jesus back to bring the church to him. So this morning, what I want to do is to to answer that by looking at the teachings of Jesus concerning the end times, all right? So to answer that, we have to go back to a, a meeting he had with his disciples. You may be familiar with it. It was coming up towards the end of the... The ministry of Christ on the earth. He was coming close to the time he knew he was going to go to the cross and die for our sins. And he pulled all his disciples together one night for a meal. He pulled them together for a, a gathering. You may know it as the last supper. We celebrate it every week as communion. And at that meal, he began to tell them about the future. Now understand, they were just like we are. They had their own plans for Jesus. See, they were trying to use him just like we try to use him now. You know, we try to make Jesus fit what we want in life instead of letting him just be the son of God. And their plans were that he was the ruler. He was going to come, take over Israel, be the king, kick the Romans out, and life was going to get a whole lot better. But then he told them the real plan. And the real plan was that he was going to die. He was going to go to the cross. He was going to suffer greatly for our sin. And he was going to take us to that place. Now we can be reconciled by God. But he said, I am going to rise from the grave. You'll, you'll see me again. And, and he shared this great news with them, but yet they didn't get it. They were, in fact, bummed out by it because they wanted something more than what he said. But right there as he spoke to them, he gave them this hope. He gave them something that we need to get a hold of in our lives. He gave them this picture of what we call the rapture today. In fact, John records this in John 14. It'll be on the screen for you. He records the same context, this subject that Jesus introduced in the rapture of the church. He says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Let's pray together this morning. Father, God, I pray you give us an openness this morning to your word. Father, Lord, we would not talk about things that are just speculative in our own minds, oh God, but we'd look at what you say, God. we look at what your word teaches. And God, we would ask that simple question, God, what does it mean to me, Father? What does it say into my life? How does it change the way I'm living today? So Father, I pray that you open our our hearing today, God. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us, God. Your word is anointed, God. We know that, but let your Spirit speak it to us today, God, that we may grow and know you, God, in a greater way, and God, be a part of what you're doing to build your kingdom. Father, we give you praise, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So here's Jesus talking to a bunch of disillusioned, disappointed men, and he says, let me tell you something, I'm coming back. And they couldn't comprehend it. Just like today, we're like, well, that just seems like something out of Hollywood. That seems like something that, that, that is almost like a fairy tale or a sci-fi fiction. But he says, I'm, I'm going to return to you someday. And they struggled with it because they couldn't get their hands around the thought that they were losing their hope. They, they couldn't get their hands around the thought that they were losing their, their, their thought that something radical was going to happen in their lives today. It was interesting that when Jesus did fulfill the prophecy about being uh, crucified, and then he rose on the third day. When he fulfilled that prophecy, the scripture says he even appeared to him again once more to encourage them and to show them once again that this is what's going to happen. In Acts, Acts chapter 1, again on the screen, the, the, he, he was taken up into heaven and an angel appeared to those same disciples as they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. The promise. What's next? Are we living in the last days? Could be, yes. What's next? The only thing that's next on the calendar is the return of Christ, the rapture of the saints. And church, the word doesn't give us any other reason that there has to have anything else take place before that comes. So here's these disciples. They may not have understood. They may not have been able to fully comprehend what was happening. But their faith changed their lives forever. Their faith changed their lives forever. And the Word of God says that they walked into the fulfillment of another prophecy that was prophesied in the book of Joel, and they opened their lives up and received what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit and power. They were filled with the fullness of God. And they went out and they began to teach the good news. They began to share the gospel that Jesus died and rose again, and salvation only comes by trusting in him. But now they added this second piece to the good news. Not only did we find salvation through him, but Christ is coming back again, and he is going to take us to heaven. Now, I don't know about you as a believer, but that kind of makes me happy, all right? It kind of makes me excited, the thought that there's something better than what we know right now. In fact, the Scripture says that is what we may commonly call now the blessed hope. Check, Check this out. I want you to see it here this morning in Titus. Guys, it's amazing. We have this teaching in the word of God, this this word that's been taught to us that says, there's coming a day where the imminent return of Christ is gonna happen. There's coming a day where no more more work, no more, it's gonna happen because Jesus is going to come and and take his bride away. Now, it's interesting to me that in our generation, we don't talk about this a lot. We, We don't even think about it a lot. You go to a Christian bookstore Look what's on the shelves. Just, just go with me in your mind for a second. How to have a better family. How to have better finances. How to have a better career. How to actually sort of like your neighbor. How to have a dog and raise it to be. I mean, it's just crazy. It's all about now, 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 when so much the Bible says, this is but a vapor. This life is but a breath And there is eternity waiting, each one of us and every person on this earth, and we need to be active in God's work that others may find eternity in Christ, not outside of him. You see, the Bible teaches us that this coming of Christ is going to be unexpected. It's not something you can look for a a sign and you go, oh, oh, he's coming next Tuesday. How many know that people would live differently if we knew that Christ was coming back next Tuesday? Do you think we might live a little differently? You think Facebook may change a little bit? You think your witness may change a little bit? You think your prayer life may change a little bit? I think there'd be a lot of repenting going on, personally. I think churches would be full. I think people would be like, oh, God, help me now, right? Because, again, he's coming back. But we don't live that way. Why? Because we're just like the Bible said. In the days of Noah, right after the flood, they were just living. They were going to soccer tournaments. They were having a grand time, giving a marriage. and giving You know, they were just living life. They weren't thinking something was about to happen. But the Bible says that when Christ returns, it is gonna be sudden and unpredictable. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, verse chapter 24, it says two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. So what's next? The Lord is coming back. What's next? There's gonna be what's called the rapture. But what does that look like? And that's what I want us to spend some moments on this morning. So in your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians is the one place where we really get a picture of what this looks like. And I think it's interesting for us to study because I think it changes our motives and our motivations about life. So look at your scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here Paul is doing what Jesus did earlier and what we're trying to do now, and that was he was responding to questions. He had gone to this place called Thessalonica, he had begun a church, and there People heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and they believed. People heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and they became believers, followers of Christ. But they also heard about this theology that Jesus was going to come back, and he was going to take them to a better place. He was going to take them to heaven, and we're going to talk about heaven next week. But what happened was, they they, they took the good news in, and they instantly looked back and said, but wait a minute, what about those who have died? What about those among us? What if you die before Jesus comes back? What's going to happen? So Paul gives a, gives a more clear picture of what's going to take place, and we are so blessed to read it today. First Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, just by show of hands this morning, did anybody ever read the Left Behind series? Anybody see the movie? God help us. God bless you. This teaching, now I'm going to show a little age here right now, so all you boomers and busters, y'all help me out here, all right? I grew up in the 60s and 70s. It is not like it is now, okay? And church is definitely not like it is now. But one thing every Sunday I could guarantee I was going to hear is, Jesus is coming back soon. We would sing it. I mean, there was not a time we didn't sing about Jesus Christ coming back soon. It was so prevalent in our minds. It seemed to me almost like there was nothing else happening except Jesus Christ is coming back soon. And they even showed a movie to us as kids called A Thief in the Night. Did anybody give me a witness? Very, 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 I'm just saying, not done well movie and you know i get it now but at the time i didn't appreciate it because what this movie depicted was the events that are going to happen when jesus comes back and it'd be things like you know someone would get up in the morning the little kid would run to his mom and dad's room open the door and there would be like pajamas lying on the bed and there'd be no people there and he'd run into the kitchen there would be like eggs you know sizzling on the grill and there's nobody there And they walk outside and the gates swing open and all of a sudden he just stops and goes, oh my gosh, I've been left behind. the kids, and everybody's crying and weeping. And they thought that would give us hope. No, it just scared the daylights out of us. I mean, there were a lot of people getting saved because we didn't want to be left behind. That was the whole gist, right? It wasn't anything about the love of Jesus. It had nothing to do with the fact that God gave us abundant grace and he was merciful and all that. It was like, I just don't want to go through that. And I remember I, we we grew up on a farm, you know. I remember one night I'd gone out to do my chores. Can I get an yeah, amen to that? And I would come back from the barn. It was dark and late, and my parents were like, they were always there. Do you ever have parents like that? They never went anywhere because we lived in the country. You can go somewhere. You had to go somewhere, right? And I pull get back, and I get back in the barn, and I go in the house, and oh my goodness, it's the thief in the night. I mean, they're not there. There's stuff sizzling on the stove. The TV is going. I am freaking out. I'm like, it's it? I'm doomed. I'm going to hell. It's done. Thank you for showing that movie, you know? I was mad. And a lot of times when people teach this theology, and why I don't think we teach it a lot these days is because it's either taught, it's almost like this fairy tale fiction, like, yeah, 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 he's coming back someday, or it's taught in this way that there's this wrathful God that cannot wait to blow up this earth. And he is so put out with us and he's just sitting up there with his foot tapping going, okay, is, is it done? Can we just say enough? Okay, have you got enough in there? But the scripture says that our God is merciful and long-suffering, and he delays his return only, why? Because he wants more to come to know him. He wants more to come into the kingdom of God. But there will come a day where it says that he will literally say, enough. It's time, Jesus, go get your bride. But that teaching can put us in such a mindset that if we're not careful, we kind of miss the point. Y'all are y'all gonna think I'm I'm just nuts, but I remember as a teenager, I, I was I was I would pray sometimes, God, I've got a football game Friday night. I'm starting. Please don't let Jesus come back before then. You know, then I got into college and be like, finals, like, okay, Lord, now would be a good time to come back, you know. Then I got engaged. It was like, Jesus, until I get married, you cannot come back, okay? Just saying, you know, just being honest here, Lord, it's not good until after I get married. Now, y'all laugh, but come on. We think that way because we're kind of like, you know, God, I kind of like the way things are here, but, you know, sometimes I don't. But what this doctrine ought to teach us is it really ought to bring a comfort to our lives. It really ought to bring a hope to us. Here, Paul was trying to be pastoral. He was trying to help these people out that were struggling with this understanding of life and death. And he was trying to show them that God always gives us hope. He always gives us hope, no matter what our circumstances are. Can I tell you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you've put your faith in him and you've received Jesus as your Lord, there is a hope of heaven. We're gonna talk a lot about that next week, so I hope you come back. We're gonna talk about the realities of heaven. But before God judges this earth and brings history to an end, He is going to take His church. He's going to take His bride. He's going to take those that follow Him. We're going to be with Him forever and eternity. And that's hope. I know when you're young, it doesn't sound like hope. I know when you're young, you're doing that game. Well, Lord, wait till this. i really like to have a career. I'd like to have a house. I'd like to have a car. I'd like to have a girlfriend someday. I mean, all those kind of things. But can I tell you, that it's, it's not an old man's doctrine. I just think the older you get, the more you recognize how short this life is. And how is if this is it, I'm pretty ticked off. There, there's a wrong teaching going around that this is it. This is heaven. Man, if this is heaven, God, I'm really bummed out, okay? Because it doesn't feel like heaven to me. It doesn't look like it. There's still a lot of crying. There's a lot of cancer. There's a lot of hurt and brokenness. And my Bible tells me, getting into next week, those things aren't going to happen anymore. But it also gives us a second hope. And that is the hope of being reunited with those believers who have passed away. Being reunited with believers who have passed away. Last January, when my father went to be with the Lord, I knew I had to leave. I had to catch a flight back here, and he was uh, not responsive, and, and I knew I may not see him again. And I was really struggling with just, you know, what do you do? And I remember I walked up to his bedside, and I, I leaned down, and I got in his ear, and I said, hey, Dad, I love you. It's okay. Tell Mom hi. I'll see you soon. I'm not saying goodbye. And I walked out. Now, I cried a lot. I'm being very less dramatic today than I am now then. But what I was holding on to was I knew to be true. My father put his trust in Christ. He was a believer. My mom put her trust in Christ. I know that they passed from this life. I don't see them now, and I'm bummed out about that, but there is a hope in me that one day I'm going to see them, and guess what? When I see them, my mom won't have Alzheimer's. Hallelujah. And my dad won't be old and have like half his body parts replaced by metal. You know, he won't have new knees and new hips and new shoulders. No, he'll be a new creation in Christ, and that gives me hope. So let's break this down. In the time we have, just for the few moments, I just want to break it down. I want you to take a few notes here. What does it say to us, and how do we take a, a hope out of this, all right? First, it says this, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You know, just like today, there's a lot of confusion about death, Okay? It's that great mystery, even though the Bible says we've Jesus conquered death for us. We want to know what happens. Where do people go? Well, I see them again. And in the day that Paul addressed this, there were other religions that thought of the afterlife, but in all their teaching, the afterlife was all based on how good you are on this earth, how much good you did on this earth, which the only problem with that is how good is good enough, Right? Do you ever have any hope because how good is good enough? There's a book we give away here at Hope. It's over there. You can get it date with that simple title, How Good is Good Enough? It's the, it's the young Hindu girl on the train that I met going through the middle of India one night, had this theological discussion, and she was going to sacrifice, go to the temple and all this. And I said, how do you ever know you've done enough? And she just got real quiet because she couldn't answer that. And I could say, I could never do enough to do what God did for me through his son but he is good enough, and he's promised me heaven because of my faith in him. So there were other teachings going on that time, but there was nothing to give them hope about what was going to happen when people died. But Paul had said earlier, to be absent from the body means to be present with the Lord. So when your loved one dies that knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there's an instantaneous move from this life to be with the presence of the Lord. There's no purgatory. There's no middle place. There's no some place we can kind of pray them from one place to another. There's, there's one thing happening. If they know Christ, it is instant. The Bible says they are with him in the Lord. Now, that gives me hope, doesn't it? That makes me feel good to know that there is that place that God has prepared for me. And the Thessalonians accepted this, but still they were worried about those who might pass away before the return. So to so Paul told them, listen, he said, look, we grieve, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Can I help you out a little bit this morning? As a pastor, I have done lots of weddings. Weddings are cool. At Hope, we've done lots of weddings. But can I tell you, I've done lots of funerals also. Lots of funerals. And here's a very simple thing that I would like to request this morning, just a simple request from a pastor to you, and that is simply this. Make my job easy when you die, please. Please. In other words, live in such a way that people are not guessing whether you are in heaven or you are in hell, okay? Live in such a way that I don't have to be put the pressure on the family going, hey, I know, I know, I know Joe was a jerk. I know he didn't like anybody, but we think maybe he might have gotten saved in the last thing." so please make him sound good. And you're up there, and you're trying to talk good about him, and all the people know him, we're like, is that the same guy that's laying up there that we used to work with? You know, you, you feel like an idiot. You're like, no, you know, live in such a way that there's no question about what place you're going to. And also live in a way that takes the doubt away from your loved ones. Because here's the deal. We grieve. We grieve hard. We're human. We hurt. It doesn't say, oh, don't grieve. It says, no, don't grieve as those who have no hope. As much as, I, as I'm weeping I'm still broken up over my father's passing away, I have hope that he is definitely in a better place he's with the presence of the Lord, and someday I will be with him through the rapture or through death. Listen, the Bible says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And that leads us to our, kind of our second question. Well, then who, who's going to get caught up? That's what the rapture means. It means snatching away, caught up. Who's going to get caught up? Now, this is where our culture struggles. It doesn't say all good people are going to go to heaven. Do you know that? TV show starting up in a few weeks, The Good Place. Check it out. If you're good, you go there. If you're not, you don't. No, that's not biblical teaching. It doesn't say good people go to heaven. It says saved people go to heaven. It says people that that know Jesus go to heaven. And that's going to surprise a whole lot of people on that day who actually goes to heaven. Why? Because it is not based on our goodness. It is based on God's goodness and our faith in him. Check it out, Romans. Romans, We we quote this all the time when someone's coming to know Christ and they're praying for salvation. But we need to really look at what it says because there are many people sitting in churches today that believe they're going to heaven because they are good and they show up in church. Here's what makes the difference. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. In other words, I surrender. I give you everything. I I just let it go. You are the Lord of my life. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Say, Mike, that's narrow. I've been called worse. Okay? How could a loving God have such a narrow path to eternity with him? Can I tell you something? Just a question why would you want to spend eternity with a God that you don't want to spend time with now? Think about it. If he's not everything now, why would you want to spend eternity with him? It's just I mean, a logical standpoint. It doesn't make sense. So we need to recognize that people who are saved will be caught up. Because according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So the, the event of the rapture is Jesus is going to come back in the clouds, and there's going to be a loud shout, a trumpet, and, and, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And those that are still alive will be caught up, with him, They'll be transformed with him and forever be with the Lord. For the Lord himself, it says, I just spoke it, will descend from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel and the trump call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we are still alive and are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. See, Mike explain that. I can't. I just can't. What's that going to look like? I don't know. Hollywood's tried to capture it. I don't know. That's where supernatural just kind of comes into play, okay? All I know is those that are alive in one moment will be here, and the next moment will not. Well, what we look like, read 1 Corinthians 15. We will not be like we are now because these corruptible bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These bodies are cursed by sin. That's why we die. That's why we have disease. That's why we struggle on this earth. There's going to be something different when we transform there. I can't tell you exactly how that's going to happen, all the science of it and all that, but I can tell you the Bible says in a moment we will be transformed and we will be with the Lord forever. So he goes on and says, therefore, then encourage one another with these words. Here's the encouragement, all right? I told you earlier that people think this is impractical. That's why we're not talking about it these days. And I tell you, it's very practical. Because if not, we get apathetic. We take Christianity to be individualized. It's all about me, right? Only it's just just about what I do and what I believe and just leave everybody else alone. But no, the thought of the imminent return of Christ tells me this I need to be an encourager. I need to be somebody that's speaking in other people's lives. I need to be somebody that's encouraging people to a way that is better than the way they're walking right now. I need to be an encourager to to show people the path to life. In fact, if we're going to encourage anything, we need to, number one, we need to reach people for the gospel. We need to reach people for the gospel. In the book of Jude, it says this, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained with corrupted flesh. Listen, guys, we've got to be people that understand that there are people that are far from God that need to know about Him. We need to understand that that reality of Jesus Christ coming back is good news to the church, but it's not good news to the unbeliever. And we need to be about His business of being His witnesses. Say, Mike, how do you do that? That's kind of beyond me. I'm not a vocal person. I'm an introvert. Start where you are. Is there anybody in your family that doesn't know Jesus? Start by praying for them. Start by lifting them up, pleading before God for them to turn to him. When you have the opportunity, share the hope that is within you with family with gentleness and respect. Don't be a Christian jerk, okay? There's a category. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, every hey, have you read the Bible? Hey, did you bring church clothes? Hey, have you heard this tape? I'm going to send you this teaching. And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. But when you have opportunity, tell them of why Jesus is everything to your life. Tell them of why he saved them, what, what makes it real. Because when we do that, then we are entering into what God has called us to do, and that is to reach out to other people and tell them about Jesus Christ. And, folks, it begins with prayer. Ask yourself this morning, When is the last time you prayed for someone that was lost? And you weren't praying, oh, God, bless them. You're praying, God, save them. Save them. God, pull them back in. Some of you have kids. We have kids. They're in that crazy age we all went through where they think, Mom and Dad don't know anything anymore. And they're trying to figure it out on their own. And I'm just praying, God, don't let them do anything stupid until they finally figure out that what happened in their life young is real, and they are yours, God. And I pray that, and I ask God to do that in their lives. I have a brother I pray for all the time, knows the Bible better than I am, but just will not make Jesus his Lord. And I want to wring his neck because I want him to be in heaven with me. I want him to go, right? I pray for him. Because sometimes family's the hardest to reach, right? So I I pray, God, give me the opportunity, but also pray, God, send people into their lives. God, send people into their lives. I can't tell you how many men I know have gotten saved because they ran into a godly woman (laughs) somewhere in their lives. And men will go to church for wrong reasons. Can I tell you that? They they just will. They'll show up, wait till college gets back in a few weeks. We have a lot of college kids in here, a lot of guys. Why? Because they're chasing girls. And the girl said, you want to chase me? We go to church. Okay, that's good. But can I tell you? We need to pray, whatever it takes, God, save them. The second thing is this. We need to encourage each other to stay focused on eternity. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What he speaks of there is we need to change the lens in which we view life with. We need to change the lens in which we view our circumstances through. Folks, you may have a life that's hard. I can't explain that. I can't explain why there are some people, man, they love Jesus. They're trying their best to serve him, and their life is just hard. It's one tragedy after another, and it just seems like they struggle. And I don't, I don't get that because I see other people that seem like life is just kind of skating along through life. It's no big deal. But whatever your circumstance is, you need to see life through that lens of eternity. This isn't all there is. If my hope is only in this life, then I am deceived, and I'm disappointed. And I've got to start recognizing that God created me not for time, God created me for eternity. Can I tell you, eternity is a lot longer than these 70, 80, 60, whatever years we get on this earth. And I've got to look at everything that way, so my decisions change. My my, my thoughts about uh, plans, future change. How I raise my family, change. What I do for a living may change. Why? Because I start viewing things through the lens of eternity. I was with a builder last week. We're, we're still working on trying to get us out of this temporary situation one day. And I said, why did you start this business and building? He said, I was being successful as a builder, but I was doing nothing to honor God. He said, so we started a new business and it's totally focused on honoring God in everything we do. And they, they tithe off their business to missions work. And wherever they go, he even hired a full-time chaplain that goes out to all their building sites to minister to all the men and women that are working on the site. Why? Because he caught eternity in his, in his eyes. He says, you know what? I'm a house builder. I'm a business builder. I build buildings, but I can use that to point people to Christ. Whatever you do for a living, guys, You can point people to Christ. When I was a CPA in a big international firm downtown, I was known as the Christian, okay? Not the Christian jerk, the Christian. And it was amazing how just over time, little conversations, little inputs, little not going to places people go, not not giving in to some of the thoughts they give into. I noticed something happening that my little cubicle started becoming a counseling center. Because guess where they went when life got hard? to the one who has hope. No matter what you do, you can point to Christ. No matter what you do. Finally this morning, piano's telling me to be quiet and get on here. No. Stay ready. Stay ready. Stay ready. I, I get foolishness of youthfulness. I remember sitting in church and I've got a pretty logical mind, okay? I, I, I think logically. And I would think, hmm, all right, Jesus is coming back. I haven't sowed any wild oats. so I don't know. I, you know. I haven't lived life yet. So if I can kind of get a picture of when he's coming back, then, then maybe I can just repent right before he comes back, right? So if I can just, like, get so close to people who are really spiritual, maybe they'll give me a clue, and then I'll know to make it all right before he comes back. That was just foolish thinking, right? Youthfulness. Live ready. Live ready always. Live in such a way that you don't think, oh, my goodness, if he came back today, I'm in trouble. Oh, if he came back today, oh, please don't find me doing what I'm doing right now. Please don't find me living the way I'm living right now. No. The Bible says let him find us faithful. God is coming back through his son Jesus someday. In church, there's nothing that can stop him. There's nothing standing in the way. There's no event in history we're waiting on. There's going to come a day where those who have made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior are going to hear a shout from heaven. They're going to hear a trumpet's blast. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds. There will be with him forever. Next week, we're going to talk about what forever looks like. But for right now, this is my question to you. Are you ready? You know, every Sunday at Hope, we ask you to ask two questions. What is God saying to you and what are you doing about it? There's there's only one question I can ask today, that's are you ready? Because if you're ready, you're gonna be reaching people. If you're ready, you're gonna be focused on eternity. If you're ready, you're gonna be ready, you're not worried about that. Because if all you're worried about is God am I living right, then you're not worried about being right. And going out and sharing the love of Jesus with others. I had to explain to me this way one time as a as I finally in college really finally gave my heart to Christ and made it solid and said, I'm going forward. And I had a minister speak over me one day and he said, Mike, you're, you're kind of like a person that's walking upstairs and your focus is not what's up here. It's on the stair in front of you because you're so afraid of tripping. And I think it's how a lot of Christians live. They're so afraid of tripping over life that they never focus on the eternity that God has. And so they never focus on people that need Jesus. They never focus on communities that need healing. They never focus on praying for, for racial reconciliation. They never focus on things like immigrants that need love and care for Christ. They never focus on missions to nations that have not heard about God. Why? Because all they're afraid is, I don't want to trip. I don't want to mess up. Let God set you free from that today. He is able to save you. He is able to keep you. And His Holy Spirit is more powerful than you can imagine.